Chapter forty two of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tige Hines. An old acquaintance of Oliver's exhibiting decided marks of genius becomes a public character in the metropolis. Upon the night when Nancy, having lulled Mr. Sykes to sleep, hurried on her self-imposed mission to Rose Maylie, there advanced towards London by the Great North Road two persons upon whom it is expedient that this history should bestow some attention. They were a man and woman, or perhaps they would be better described as a male and female, for the former was one of those long-limbed, knock-kneed, shambling, bony people to whom it is difficult to assign any precise age, looking as they do when they are yet boys like undergrown men, and when they are almost men like overgrown boys. The woman was young, but of a robust and hardy make, as she need have been to bear the weight of the heavy bundle which was strapped to her back. Her companion was not encumbered with much luggage, as there merely dangled from a stick which he carried over his shoulder a small parcel, wrapped in a common handkerchief, and apparently light enough. This circumstance, added to the length of his legs, which were of unusual extent, enabled him with much ease to keep some half-dozen paces in advance of his companion, to whom he occasionally turned with an impatient jerk of the head, as if reproaching her tardiness, and urging her to greater exertion. Thus they had toiled along the dusty road, taking little heed of any object within sight, save when they stepped aside to allow a wider passage for the mail-coaches which were whirling out of town, until they passed through Highgate Archway, when the foremost traveller stopped and called impatiently to his companion, "'Come on, can't you? What a lazy bones you are, Charlotte!' "'It's a heavy load, I can tell you,' said the female, coming up, almost breathless with fatigue. "'Eddie?' "'What are you talking about? What are you made for?' rejoined the male traveller, changing his own little bundle as he spoke to the other shoulder. "'Oh, there you are, resting again. Well, if it ain't enough to tire anybody's patience out, I don't know what is.' "'Is it much farther?' asked the woman, resting herself against the bank, and looking up with a perspiration streaming from her face. "'Much further. You're as good as there,' said the long-legged tramper, pointing out before him. "'Look there.' "'Those are the lights of London.' "'They're a good two mile off, at least,' said the woman despondingly. "'Never mind whether they're two mile off, or twenty, said Noah Claypole, for it was he. "'But get up and come on, or I'll kick you, and so I give you notice.' As Noah's nose grew redder with anger, and as he crossed the road while speaking as if fully prepared to put his threat into execution, the woman rose without any further remark, and trudged onward by his side. "'Where do you mean to stop for the night, Noah?' she asked, after they had walked a few hundred yards. "'How should I know?' replied Noah, whose temper had been considerably impaired by walking. "'Near, I hope,' said Charlotte. "'No, not near,' replied Mr. Claypole. "'There, not near, so don't think it.' "'Why not?' "'When I tell you that I don't mean to do a thing, that's enough, without any why or because either,' replied Mr. Claypole, with dignity. "'Well, you didn't be so cross,' said his companion. "'A pretty thing it would be, wouldn't it, to go and stop at the very first public-house outside the town, so the sowbury, if he came up after us, might poke in his old nose and have us taken back in a cart with handcuffs on?' said Mr. Claypole in a jeering tone. "'Now, I shall go and lose myself among the narrowest streets I can find, and not stop till we come to the very out-of-the-wayest house I can set eyes on. God, you may thank your stars I've got a head.' 
for if you hadn't gone at first the wrong road o' purpose and come back across country you'd have been locked up hard and fast a week ago my lady and serve you right for being a fool i know i ain't as cunning as you are replied charlotte but don't put all the blame on me and say i should have been locked up you would have been if i had been anyway you took the money from the till you know you did said mr claypole i took it for you now dear rejoined charlotte did i keep it asked mr claypole no you trusted in me and let me carry it like a dear and so you are said the lady chucking him under the chin and drawing her arm through his this was indeed the case but as it was not mr claypole's habit to repose a blind and foolish confidence in anybody it should be observed in justice to that gentleman that he had trusted charlotte to this extent in order that if they were pursued the money might be found on her which would leave him an opportunity of asserting his innocence of any theft and would greatly facilitate his chances of escape of course he entered at this juncture into no explanation of his motives and they walked on very lovingly together in pursuance of this cautious plan mr claypole went on without halting until he arrived at the angel at islington where he wisely judged from the crowd of passengers and numbers of vehicles that london began in earnest just pausing to observe which appeared the most crowded streets and consequently the most to be avoided he crossed into st john's road and was soon deep in the obscurity of the intricate and dirty ways which lying between gray's inn lane and smithfield render that part of the town one of the lowest and worst that improvement has left in the midst of london through these streets noah claypole walked dragging charlotte after him now stepping into the kennel to embrace at a glance the whole external character of some small public-house now jogging on again as some fancied appearance induced him to believe it too public for his purpose at length he stopped in front of one more humble in appearance and more dirty than any he had yet seen and having crossed over and surveyed it from the opposite pavement graciously announced his intention of putting up there for the night so give us the bundle said noah unstrapping it from the woman's shoulders and slinging it over his own and don't you speak except when you're spoke to what's the name of the house t h r three what cripples said charlotte three cripples repeated noah a very good sign too now then keep close at my heels and come along with these injunctions he pushed the rattling door with his shoulder and entered the house followed by his companion there was nobody in the bar but a young jew who with his two elbows on the counter was reading a dirty newspaper he stared very hard at noah and noah stared very hard at him if noah had been attired in his charity boy's dress there might have been some reason for the jew opening his eyes so wide but as he had discarded the coat and badge and wore a short smock-frock over his leathers there seemed no particular reason for his appearance exciting so much attention in a public-house is this the three cripples asked noah that's the day of this house replied the jew a gentleman we met on the road coming up from the country recommended us here said noah nudging charlotte perhaps to call her attention to this most ingenious device for attracting respect and perhaps to warn her to betray no surprise we want to sleep here to-night i'm not certain you cad said barney who was the attendant sprite but i'll inquire show us the tap and give us a bit of cold meat and a drop of beer while you're inquiring will you said noah barney complied by ushering them into a small back room and setting the required viands before them 
having done which he informed the travellers that they could be lodged that night and left the amiable couple to their refreshment now this back room was immediately behind the bar and some steps lower so that any person connected with the house undrawing a small curtain which concealed a single pane of glass fixed in the wall of the last-named apartment about five feet from its flooring could not only look down upon any guests in the back room without any great hazard of being observed the glass being in a dark angle of the wall between which and a large upright beam the observer had to thrust himself but could by applying his ear to the partition ascertain with tolerable distinctness their subject of conversation the landlord of the house had not withdrawn his eye from this place of espial for five minutes and barney had only just returned from making the communication above related when fagin in the course of his evening's business came into the bar to inquire after some of his young pupils hush said barney strangers in the next room strangers repeated the old man in a whisper ah and rubbuds too added barney from the country but something in your way or unbestaked fagin appeared to receive this communication with great interest mounting a stool he cautiously applied his eye to the pane of glass from which secret post he could see mr claypole taking cold beef from the dish and porter from the pot and administering homeopathic doses of both to charlotte who sat patiently by eating and drinking at his pleasure aha he whispered looking round to barney i like that fellow's looks he'd be of use to us he knows how to train the girl already don't make as much noise as a mouse my dear and let me hear him talk let me hear him he again applied his eye to the glass and turning his ear to the partition listened attentively with a subtle and eager look upon his face that might have appertained to some old goblin so i mean to be a gentleman said mr claypole kicking out his legs and continuing a conversation the commencement of which fagin had arrived too late to hear no more jolly old coffin charlotte but a gentleman's life for me and if you like you should be a lady i should like that well enough dear replied charlotte but tills ain't to be emptied every day and people to get cleared off after it tills be blowed said mr claypole there's more things beside tills to be emptied what do you mean asked his companion pockets women's ridicules houses mail coaches banks said mr claypole rising with the porter but you can't do all that dear said charlotte i shall look out to get into company with them as can replied noah they'll be able to make us useful some way or another why you yourself are worth fifty women i never see such a precious sly and deceitful creature as you can be when i let you law how nice it is to hear you say so exclaimed charlotte imprinting a kiss upon his ugly face there that'll do don't you be too affectionate in case i'm cross with you said noah disengaging himself with great gravity i should like to be the captain of some band and have the whooping of em and following em about unbeknownst to them that would suit me if there was good profit and if we could only get in with some gentleman of this sort i say it would be cheap at that twenty pound note you've got especially as we don't very well know how to get rid of it ourselves after expressing this opinion mr claypole looked into the porter-pot with an aspect of deep wisdom and having well shaken its contents nodded condescendingly to charlotte and took a draught wherewith he appeared greatly refreshed he was meditating another when the sudden opening of the door and the appearance of a stranger interrupted him the stranger was mr fagin 
and very amiable he looked, and a very low bow he made as he advanced, and setting himself down at the nearest table, ordered something to drink from the grinning Barney. "'A pleasant night, sir, but cool for the time of year,' said Fagin, rubbing his hands. "'From the country, I see, sir.' "'How do you see that?' asked Noah Claypole. "'We have not so much dust as that in London,' replied Fagin, pointing from Noah's shoes to those of his companion and from them to the two bundles. "'You're a sharp fellow,' said Noah. <laughs> "'Only hear that, Charlotte.' "'Why, one need be sharp in this town, my dear,' replied the Jew, sinking his voice into a confidential whisper, "'and that's the truth.' Fagin followed up this remark by striking the side of his nose with his right forefinger, a gesture which Noah attempted to imitate, though not with complete success, in consequence of his own nose not being large enough for the purpose. However, Mr. Fagin seemed to interpret the endeavour as expressing a perfect coincidence with his opinion, and put about the liquor which Barney reappeared with in a very friendly manner. "'Good stuff, that,' observed Mr. Claypole, smacking his lips. "'Dear,' said Fagin, "'a man need be always emptying a till, or pocket, or a woman's reticule, or a house, or a mail-coach, or a bank, if he drinks it regularly.' Mr. Claypole no sooner heard this extract from his own remarks than he fell back in his chair and looked from the Jew to Charlotte with a countenance of ashy paleness and excessive terror. "'Don't mind me, my dear,' said Fagin, drawing his chair close. <laughs> "'How lucky it was it was only me that heard you by chance. It was very lucky it was only me.' "'I didn't take it.' stammered Noah, no longer stretching out his legs like an independent gentleman, but coiling them up as well as he could under his chair. "'It was all her doing. You've got it now, Charlotte. You know you have.' "'No matter who's got it or who did it, my dear,' replied Fagin, glancing nevertheless with a hawk's eye at the girl and at the two bundles. "'I'm in that way myself, and I like you for it.' "'In what way?' asked Mr. Claypole, a little recovering. "'In that way of business,' rejoined Fagin, "'and so are the people of the house. You've hit the right nail upon the head, and you're as safe here as you could be. There is not a safer place in all this town than is the cripples, that is, when I like to make it so. And I have taken a fancy to you and the young woman. So I've said the word, and you may make your minds easy.' Noah Claypole's mind might have been at ease after this assurance but his body certainly was not, for he shuffled and writhed about into various uncouth positions, eyeing his new friend meanwhile with mingled fear and suspicion. "'I'll tell you more,' said Fagin, after he had reassured the girl by dint of friendly nods and muttered encouragements. "'I have got a friend that I think can gratify your darling wish, and put you in the right way where you can take whatever department of the business you think will suit you best at first, and be taught all the others. "'You speak as if you were in earnest,' replied Noah. "'What advantage would it be to me to be anything else?' inquired Fagin, shrugging his shoulders. "'Here, let me have a word with you outside.' "'There's no occasion to trouble ourselves to move,' said Noah, getting his legs by gradual degrees abroad again. "'She'll take the luggage upstairs the while. Charlotte, See to them bundles." This mandate, which had been delivered with great majesty, was obeyed without the slightest demur, and Charlotte made the best of her way off with the packages, while Noah held the door open and watched her out. "'She's kept tolerably well under, ain't she?' he asked as he resumed his seat, 
in the tone of a keeper who had tamed some wild animal. "'Quite perfect,' rejoined Fagin, clapping him on the shoulder. "'You're a genius, my dear.' "'Why, I suppose if I wasn't, I shouldn't be here,' replied Noah. "'But I say, she'll be back if you lose time.' "'Now, what do you think,' said Fagin, "'if you were to like my friend, could you do better than join him?' Is he in a good way of business? That's where it is," responded Noah, winking one of his little eyes. The top of the tree employs a power of hands, has the very best society in the profession. Regular town maiders? asked Mr. Claypole. Not a countryman among them, and I don't think he'd take you even on my recommendation if he didn't run rather short of assistance just now," replied Fagin. Should I have to hand over? said Noah, slapping his breeches pocket. "'It couldn't possibly be done without,' replied Fagin, in a most decided manner. Twenty pound, though. It's a lot of money.' "'Not when it's in a note you can't get rid of,' retorted Fagin. "'Number and date taken, I suppose. Payment stopped at the bank. Ah, it's not worth much to him. It'll have to go abroad, and he couldn't sell it for a great deal in the market.' "'When could I see him?' asked Noah doubtfully. Tomorrow morning. Where? Here. Hm, said Noah. What's the wages? Live like a gentleman, board and lodgings, pipes and spirits free, half of all you earn, and half of all the young woman earns, replied Mr. Fagan. Whether Noah Claypole, whose rapacity was none of the least comprehensive, would have acceded even to these glowing terms had he been a perfectly free agent is very doubtful. But as he recollected that, in the event of his refusal, it was in the power of his new acquaintance to give him up to justice immediately, and more unlikely things had come to pass, he gradually relented and said that he thought that would suit him. "'But you see,' observed Noah, "'as she'll be able to do a good deal, I should like to take something very light.' "'A little fancy work,' suggested Fagin. "'Ah, something of that sort,' replied Noah. "'What do you think would suit me now?' Something not too trying for my strength, and not very dangerous, you know. That's the sort of thing. I heard you talk of something in the spy way upon the others, my dear, said Fagin. My friend wants somebody who could do that well, very much. Why, I did mention that, and I shouldn't mind turning my hand to it sometimes, rejoined Mr. Claypole slowly. But it wouldn't pay by itself, you know. That's true observed the Jew, ruminating, or pretending to ruminate. Now, it might not. What do you think, then? asked Noah, anxiously regarding him. Something in a sneaking way, where it was pretty sure work, and not much more risk than being at home. What do you think of the old ladies? asked Fagin. There's a good deal of money made in snatching their bags and parcels, and running round the corner. Don't they holler out a good deal, and scratch sometimes? asked Noah, shaking his head. I don't think that would answer my purpose. Enter any other line open. Stop, said Fagin, laying his hand on Noah's knee. The kitchen lay. What's that? demanded Mr. Claypole. The kitchen lay, my dear, said Fagin, is the young children that sent on errands by their mothers, with sixpences and shillings, and the lay is just to take their money away. They've always got it ready in their hands, then knock em into the kennel and walk off very slow, as if there were nothing else the matter but a child fallen down and hurt itself. Ha ha ha! 
roared Mr. Claypole, kicking up his legs in ecstasy. Lord, that's the very thing. To be sure it is, replied Fagin. And you can have a few good beats chalked out in Camden Town and Battle Bridge and neighbourhoods like that, with it always going errands. And you can upset as many kitchens as you want any hour in the day. <laughs> with this Fagin poked Mr. Claypole in the side, and they joined in a burst of laughter both long and loud. Well, that's all right, said Noah, when he had recovered himself and Charlotte had returned. What time tomorrow shall we say? Will ten do? asked Fagin, adding, as Mr. Claypole nodded assent, What name shall I tell my good friend? Mr. Bolter, replied Noah, who had prepared himself for such emergency. Mr. Morris Bolter. This is Mrs. Bolter. Mrs. Bolter's humble servant, said Fagin, bowing with grotesque politeness. I hope I shall know her better very shortly. Do you hear the gentleman, Charlotte? thundered Mr. Claypole. Yes, Noah, dear, replied Mrs. Bolter, extending her hand. She calls me Noah as a sort of fond way of talking, said Mr. Morris Bolter, late Claypole, turning to Fagin. You understand? Oh, yes, I understand. Perfectly, replied Fagin, telling the truth for once. Good night. Good night. With many adieus and good wishes, Mr. Fagin went his way. Noah Claypole, bespeaking his good lady's attention, proceeded to enlighten her relative to the arrangements he had made, with all that haughtiness and air of superiority becoming not only to a member of the sterner sex, but a gentleman who appreciated the dignity of a special appointment on the kitchen lay, in London and its vicinity. End of chapter 42